It's Tuesday, January 25th, and you're tuned into the Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast. I'm Joe Noga, joined by Paul Hoynes. Hoynesy, we've we've got some movement. We've got something to report in the uh, baseball labor negotiations. The two sides sat down on Monday, uh, exchanged proposals, and uh, the the biggest development I think uh, we saw the the players union move off of two of their demands uh, that they had earlier in the process. Uh, and it looks like, you know, we could be headed towards more proposals this week. Yeah, Joe, they met at the uh, MLBPA offices in New York, uh, owners and, and players for over two hours. Um, yesterday, um, the uh, players, you know, kind of came off their, uh, their proposal to have, you know, players aged 29 and a half to 30 to 30 and a half become eligible for arbitration after five years instead of the uh, traditional six years. You know, the owners had, had were really dug in on, on, you know, protecting the six-year free agency, um, you know, land, you know, kind of uh, signpost, I guess. Uh, you know, that's been a part of the, uh, the basic agreement since 1976, six years, you need six years to become a free agent. So, they, they kind of backed off that, and the, the assumption is that they will no longer pursue that, you know, you know, at, to a reduction in the free agent, um, you know, status of the free agent, the six years you need to, a player needs to become a free agent. They also, uh, uh, they reduced their, uh, their proposal regarding revenue sharing from 100 million to 30 million. Um, they had, uh, you know, the players, you know, feel that teams have, the teams receiving revenue sharing from the larger market clubs have not spent that money on the 26-man roster. You know, lots of it, you know, some teams like kind of bank it until they feel they're ready to contend. Other teams have put it into uh, scouting and, and uh, player development and uh, who know, you know, uh, facility different facilities uh, the players wanted more earmarked for the 26-man roster so you know they wanted a hundred million dollar reduction in that uh, but they've come off that and uh, reportedly reduced that to 30 million now I, you know so we'll see how that goes but that uh, you know that's another con, you know con, a seemingly a concession on their part we talked earlier uh, about how this might be setting up something earlier, these concessions uh, for, you know, later on in the process and maybe, you know, being able to say, hey, we gave a little bit on this. Uh, the, the reduction in revenue sharing demand, I think, uh, you know, kind of strikes me. It's, you know, the, the players union wanted almost like to penalize the smaller market teams for what they saw as this, this inaction on, on signing free agents and, you know, taking this revenue sharing money and then not using it on the, the 26 man roster, as you know, we've seen examples, uh, Pittsburgh is, is one that comes to mind, uh, you know, how many free agents have they signed recently, but uh, that, that sort of benefits the, the, the bigger market teams, the, the New York's and the, the LA's and the Chicago's uh, and really uh, even reducing the number of years, before a player becomes eligible for, for free agency, uh, that also looks like it's aimed at, at, at the bigger market. Says, 
how does this line up for, for the Guardians and, and Cleveland when, you know, the, the players union is kind of working against them right now? Yeah, the players want uh, the teams that will spend money to have the money to spend. So, you know, and, and, and revenue sharing is a hot button uh, subject even amongst the owners, Joe. I mean, the big market teams, when they see what uh, the smaller market teams are, are doing with their revenue, you know, the revenue they're sharing, and they're not putting it into being a competitive uh, product on the field, they, they get upset too. So this is, yeah, this is definitely you know, putting the squeeze on uh, mid and small market teams. And, uh, you know, the, the Players Association has filed grievances against teams like the Marlins, the, uh, the, the A's, and, and, um, the A's and, and the Pirates in the past for, for, for misuse of, for what they claim is misuse of revenue sharing funds. Oh, that's very interesting. And, and we'll see. Uh, I know you had a piece uh, on Clim.com today just talking about you know, there's possibilities, there's six maybe difficult ways that the uh, the process can move forward and, and, and end this lockout and get things back to normal. Uh, just uh, what kind of feedback have you gotten off of that? Well, you know, I haven't gotten too much feedback, Joe, but, you know, I think the key there to me is arbitration. You know, the, the players want to uh, cut, uh, the players want all players with two years of service time to be eligible for arbitration. Uh, the, the owners are, are holding, would like to see, you know, the two plus players go away and, and make it strictly, you know, be eligible for, th- uh, for arbitration after three years of service time. But there's room for negotiations here because in past basic agreements, you know, the, the arbitration, uh, you know, deadline was two years. In, in like 1987, it was, two, uh, you know, players were eligible after two years. Then they uh, pushed it back. The owners pushed, negotiated back to three. Then, uh, you know, they, they introduced the super twos at, you know, 17% with, you know, less than three, more than two. And then it went up to 22% of the super twos. So, you know, they've shown in the past that they're willing to negotiate on that subject. And I really think with, with the players uh, backing off the six-year free agency uh, issue, I think there's some way to reach a deal regarding arbitration. I really do. Yeah, maybe that maybe that's the way to to spend more of that revenue sharing money uh, for these teams is reduce that number back down to two years, and then you've automatically got to spend more money because you'll have more arbitration eligible players. And then you raise the you know the the minimum salary you know to about you know seven hundred to. You know what, eight eight fifty eight eight seventy five over the length of the contract. Uh, you know, I think uh, there's a way to do this. All right. Okay. Well, uh, you know, hopefully we'll have more to report uh, later on this week as we as we move forward. Uh, the other big news in baseball right now: the announcement of the Hall of Fame class for 2022 uh, should take place sometime this evening. Uh, we talked about how David Ortiz is is on the cusp right there. Uh, we also talk about how once this class is sort of uh, announced and and out there, uh, it puts 2023's group on the uh, sort of on the clock. And in that group or in that process of uh, the, the, the sort of Hall of Fame cycle for 2023, uh, we will see Kenny Lofton uh, once again become a guy whose uh, name will surface uh, through his eligibility on the the modern day committee 
uh, or, or today's game, one of those two, one of those uh, committees is, that's uh, going to be working. Uh, it's a form of the Veterans Committee where you know he's been off the ballot for ten years, and uh, he will once again be under consideration for the Hall of Fame. And and Hoinsey, uh, you said that you know he's he's got a pretty good shot at it. Yeah, I think there's a chance, Joe. You know that the committee, you know, comes up with a 10, 10 uh, player ballot. Uh, you know, for the modern day era, and that would be, you know, for the 2023 class. So, you know, I think Kenny is, is right there. He, you know, he was a one and done guy on, on the BBWA ballot, unfortunately, in, in 2013. He's waited his 10 years and he's, he's gotten a lot of, uh, you know, he's gotten, there's a lot of kind of, uh, you know, a good uh, vibe about him, a good uh, buzz about him. You know, uh, people think he got overlooked, and uh, this is what the modern day era thing is is for to, uh, you know, maybe correct uh, mistakes that were made or players that got overlooked. And uh, Kenny certainly, you know, played a long time. He he was, you know, everywhere he went, he was he got to, he was a winner. He went to the postseason. It seemed like he was with uh, Cleveland three different times. Just uh, you know just a great player to watch great numbers. And I, I certainly hope he, he gets some consideration and get and makes, at least makes a ballot, you know, right. at, for 2023. And yeah. I think they, making the they ballot can go from there, making the ballot would be a no brainer, at least in that first uh, cycle. But uh, again, you pointed out the, uh, the, the problem here is going to be next year. If uh, guys like bonds, uh, Clemens and Schilling all fall off of the BBWA ballot, uh, this year, if they're not elected, uh, they will also be part of that, uh, you know, 10 year process. Uh, they'll, they'll be on uh, eligible for the modern day ballot as well. Uh, so Lofton could get crowded out once again. Uh, it could be the case, but we'll, uh, we'll hope that that doesn't happen and we'll, we'll move forward on that. All right, we're going to uh, shift gears here and uh, start and we're going to introduce our, our new uh, feature here that we'll be doing for the next a couple of weeks on each of our podcasts. It's uh, Hoinsey's most memorable 25 personalities uh, in Cleveland baseball. Hoinsey, uh, you, you've been around long enough. You've seen enough uh, of baseball and, and people and players and uh, play people around the game in Cleveland uh, to know, well, you know, you're, you're like the living encyclopedia right now. So uh, we want to sort of tap into that and, uh, you know, get some stories and memories about some of these players. Uh, we're also going to join with our subtext users and ask for their memories and, and share their thoughts on some of these guys uh, as we move forward. Uh, what we'll do is we'll talk about a guy each day on the podcast. And then uh, after that, we'll ask the subtext users to, um, you know, give us their thoughts and we'll circle back and uh, you know, who knows, maybe we'll post a few of uh, a few of their ideas and, you know, their interactions with these guys uh, and, uh, you know, sort of learn a, a little bit more about each one. All right. Uh, the way we're going to introduce this, Hoinsey, I'm sure you're excited about it, is uh, I'm going to give you a, a blind introduction uh, for each guy and you're going to take your best guess and then, uh, you know, we'll uh, we'll go from there. Uh, this player was drafted 13th overall by the Indians and was runner-up in Rookie of the Year voting in his first full season with the club. So uh, that that should narrow the uh, the feel for you a little bit right there. 
967 games over eight seasons. He's the franchise leader in slugging percentage and OPS, third all-time in home runs, fourth in on-base percentage, eighth in strikeouts and RBIs, ninth in extra base hits, and the single-season leader in RBIs with 164. Now that alone right there is a mouthful of a resume. Uh, it should get you closer to uh, who we're talking about today. In his second career game, he went three for four with a pair of home runs in Yankee Stadium. And in his final at-bat for Cleveland, he homered in front of fans at Jacobs Field. So all that's on the table, Hoinsey. Uh, what, what's your guess as to, as to the identity of the, the, uh, the mystery man? That's got to be none other than uh, Manny Ramirez. I can't. I, 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 that, 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 that is, his image is burned into my brain. Hoinsey, I'll tell you what. The, the thing about Manny Ramirez that you know, it, it connects with me is every time anybody mentions Manny Ramirez's name around you, you immediately get this big smile on your face and you just start <laughs> let, you, you, it's like you have a, you, you hear a joke in your head every time somebody talks about Manny Ramirez and it's the funniest joke you've ever heard. You just, you let, it's, it's so much positive energy. Uh, anytime you talk about Manny Ramirez, uh, I, I just want to bring him up every time I see you just to get that laugh. <laughs> he, he was such a great ball player, Joe. And, uh, and he was so much fun to be around and just fun to watch. You know, you, you never knew what Manny was going to do. I mean, there was the time in the Astrodome, you know, where, where somebody, one of, one of the Astros hit the ball under a, a bench in right field. Manny thought it was out of play. And he's standing there, you know, with his arms stretched out that the ball was a dead ball. And whoever hit it is running around the bases for an inside the park home run. <laughs> and he never, the ball never got into right, never got into the infield. Well, there are um, a million plays like that. And, you know, when, when Manny moved on to his, his career in Boston after that, the phrase Manny being Manny sort of, you know, became really widely popularized. But Manny being Manny started in Cleveland, and, and you witnessed pretty much all of it, uh, you know, during your time covering him uh, for, for the Indians. Yeah, just, uh, you know, I remember the day they drafted him. Uh, I called his uh... – his, his high school coach, in, Sam Mandel, in uh, Washington Heights, New York, in, in, in the Bronx. And he told me that this guy is going to be better than George Bell. And George Bell was, uh, you know, the, the, the great outfielder for the Toronto Blue Jays at the time. I think he was an MVP. Just, uh, you know, really a good a power hitter, a Dominican, you know, from the Dominican Republic like, like Manny is. And uh, he was right on the button, man. But... <laughs> He was Manny was his own. He didn't tell me about Manny's personality, though. We had to find that out by by ourselves. And it was just uh, you just never knew what he was going to do. And the thing about him, Joe, was I, I've never seen a guy more suited. For for the to have the great personality of to have the personality of a great hitter, you never saw him take a bad swing. You never saw him argue with an umpire, at least, you know, very rarely. Never. He yeah. never got upset. You know, he would always stayed even keel. If he struck out, if he hit a home run, if he hit a double, it, it, it really didn't matter to him. And I always thought that calm, you know, that inner peace, you know, really helped him as a player. Yeah, that was uh, his demeanor was, you know, as uh, as even as anybody 
but just overall uh, the numbers that I, I I I ran through and the the output that he had just in his eight years in Cleveland. I mean, he went on to 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 win and and have success in other places as well, but in Cleveland he was just revered for the, the the sheer amount of statistics and numbers that he put up. He was one of the greatest right-handed hitters in the franchise's history. Oh, there's no doubt about that. Think if he had stayed here, Joe, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, when he left in 2000 <clears throat> uh, to go to Boston for what, eight years and 160 million, you know, I talked to his, his agent, Jeff Moore at a couple more at a couple of years after that. And he, he said the Indians really offered him more money but it was, but most of it was deferred and Manny wanted the money up front. So, you know, that was the deciding factor. And uh, of course, Manny had to throw in like kind of a, just a screwball request at the end of just before he went to Boston, he wanted to take Frank Mancini, Mancini, the, the, one of the Indians clubhouse workers with them to Boston. That was, <laughs> that was part of the deal. And, and Frankie, you know, considered it, but said, no, nah, I got to stay in Cleveland. And Frankie's still in Cleveland. Now, and he's still in Cleveland that now. Mad, yeah. You know, that, that it was, he was just, well, uh, he was just fun to fun to watch, fun to fun to cover. And uh, you know, he would, his, one of his favorite sayings was, uh, Sometimes the bear gets you and sometimes you get the bear. There you go. Uh, you know, there are specific memories that are burned into some of our, our minds about me. You know, I, I think back to that, that two home run game in his debut and the, the party atmosphere in Yankee stadium, uh, just from his family and friends that were all there. Uh, it was sort of like what, uh, w- what we saw with the Indians when they went to Puerto Rico and, and played those games down there a couple of years back you know, just the, the flag waving and the noisemakers and the, the celebration of baseball that it was. And for him to do what he did was, was sort of amazing. Uh, then you fast forward a couple of years and, you know, he's at Jacobs field uh, hitting walk-off home runs against Dennis Eckersley and, and Dennis Eckersley is mouthing. Wow. As the ball goes out of the ballpark, he didn't expect that. Uh, this guy always did something more than what was expected uh, and I think, uh, you know, he, he came through in a lot of clutch situations. Uh, again, the, the numbers speak for themselves. I don't think you can, you can argue uh, why he was so revered here. But, uh, you know, and then, like you said, these, these sort of offbeat, off-the-wall, wacky stories about him uh, away from the, the field sort of add to the lore. They add to the, the mystique of, of this, this guy this character and uh, you know, why fans here love him so much. Yeah. I mean, and uh, you know, I'll, I'll never forget. We were in Kansas city. Uh, the Indians were playing uh, uh, the Royals and uh, Sheldon Ocker from the Akron Beacon journal and, and me were standing in the locker room and a uh, Manny and, and Julian Tavares came up to us and, and, you know, kind of were talking to us and asked us if they could each borrow $10,000 from us. So they could buy motorcycles. They wanted to buy Harley Davidson. <laughs> they said they said they had gone to John Hart, who was then the general manager, but he wouldn't give them an advance on their salary. So they wanted to. They were trying to borrow money from us, and and I asked Manny, "Do you know how, how much money sports baseball writers make?" And you know, years later, you know, of course, that story like spread like wildfire. And uh, years later, Manny said he was only. 
you know, kidding around, but he wasn't kidding around. He was, <laughs> he, he was, he was serious. serious. <laughs> so, you know, he just, just that is like out of the, you know, out of nowhere, you know? So that's, that was Manny. That was, that was what made him so fun. Well, and you know, you also heard stories of like, uh, you know, game checks, uncashed game checks being, you know, just sitting in his locker and things like that. Uh, it, it's, he was a, a very sincere and very sweet, but you know, maybe it, a, a, not, I don't want to say on the naive side, but again, you're talking about a guy who, uh, you know, English wasn't his, his, uh, his first language. He, he came from the Dominican uh, to New York, I, I believe. And, and, you know, really it was just sort of a learning process early on when he was in Cleveland and, and you, you were there to, to sort of witness that uh, firsthand. Yeah, you know, he he really, you know, if if you wanted to talk to Manny, it was going to be like a week long project because he he would he could only sit still for like three minutes and then you have to get up and go and you never see him again. So it was like you had to take like four different runs at him. (laughs) But he and I think the language was part of it, Joe. But you know, he came to uh, you know came to to this country when he was thirteen. So he knew a lot more than he let on. He he knew how to speak English and uh, uh, and but he and you know but he, I think basically he, he wasn't really a, an outgoing guy. But I remember something, Joe. There was a there was a time uh, against Detroit. He was on first base, and the tight you know there was a, a pass ball or or a, you know a wild pitch and um, he went to second base and and the Tigers deked him. And told him to, uh, that, you know, said, "Hey, it was a foul, a foul, back, foul yeah. ball." He's going back to first base, and he got thrown out. <laughs> and, and I wrote the next day that he got thrown out trying to steal first. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, he never said anything. But a couple of weeks later, we were in Anaheim, and they're warming up. They're warming up along the, the first baseline. They're stretching. The players say, and he goes, and and I hear Manny say, "You better watch that guy." He. You know, we said the fans will love you as long as you don't try to try to steal first base or something like that. You know, so he, he knew what was going on. Well, he, he knew when he knew when he got burned and he knew, uh, you know, what it was, uh, what it was all about. And, and I'm sure, it, you know, uh, a few years in Boston too probably, uh, you know, hardened him uh, against things like that as well. So, uh, well, that's great. I, that's, you know, some great stories about Manny, some some great insight. Uh, and that's what we want to do here moving forward with this uh, this top 25 feature, Hoinsey's 25 most memorable uh, Cleveland Indians personalities. Uh, we will come back uh, again tomorrow with another one. And uh, as we uh, move forward, as we hopefully get get closer to, to spring training and and, uh, you know, we can talk about things on the field uh, as of right now, we'll, uh, we'll continue to, to sort of reminisce. Uh, with with all the great memories that we have here uh, with baseball in Cleveland. Uh, Hoinsey will uh, make a run at it tomorrow, and we'll talk uh, more Hall of Fame stuff and, and maybe some more labor progress uh, here on the Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast. All right, Joe. 